And hello to you, and welcome to the Richard Nichols Podcast, the personal development podcast series that's here to help inspire, educate, and motivate you to be the best you can be. I'm psychotherapist Richard Nichols, and this is episode 178. It's titled, How to Feel Alive. And if you're ready, we'll start the show. Happy February! It's a whole new month. Here we are again. January seems to have dragged on a bit, if you ask me. But, uh, well, it's a new month now, so I's back. And um, I'm revisiting something that I was talking about on a patron-only episode last year that a few patrons asked me to uh, go into again and make it public so that um, everybody could have a listen. And it's about enthusiasm, how to feel it, how to generate it, and it all goes back, really, in 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 my mind, um, about fifteen years ago. Uh, a clinic that I'd, I'd not long started work at had a bit of a staff party in the car park, and I took my wife along to meet my new colleagues. And halfway through the afternoon, I overheard someone ask my wife a question because I'd gone off to grab a drink or something. And as I wandered away, someone said to her, "Is he like this at home?" And I thought to myself. What do they mean? Am I like what? Because I didn't perceive that there was anything particularly unique about the way I came across. But over the years, there have been quite a few variations on this question. Occasionally, somebody would say, are you always like this? Or on rare occasions, like a couple of weeks ago, what's wrong with you? Or as an Amazon Audible reviewer in the US said last year, couldn't listen long enough to give a proper review, he's too happy in an annoying kind of way. And I mentioned this attitude that seems to have followed me around to my supervisor once. You probably don't know unless you're a psychotherapist yourself, but all of us have to have a supervisor that we check in with regularly to make sure that we're coping with our clients okay. And she kind of agreed with everybody that in the politest possible sense, I'm a bit out of the ordinary. My wife would say I'm a bit weird, but I'll live with out of the ordinary for now. So throughout my career, I've spent a bit of time looking at what I do, how I think, that encourages me to be this enthusiastic or happier character and how much of it is genuine, how much is just a mask that I wear for everybody. And I take it all to therapy and I discuss it and try and figure it out and go, oh, I'm I'm a mixed bag of everything, depending on how I want to be uh, in that moment. So I, I can sort of jump in and out of all sorts of emotions. And so today I want to talk about my particular five tips for a happier and more enthusiastic life. So number one is to find your passion and do things that you are passionate about. Doing things that you have some enthusiasm about is a great way of getting some motivation. And if you're not sure what it even is that you might be passionate about, one way of figuring it out might be to look at what you did when you were younger. What made you feel enthusiastic earlier in your life before the world tried to change you? Were you more enthused by drawing and art, cookery, music, acting? Often there's a reason why they pushed your buttons as a kid. Maybe you were quite good at something, but your life went off in a different way. But just because you aren't the best in the world at something 
doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't be enjoying that, even if it's a bit childish. I've been working with a theatre company for a few years now. Um, 16 years? Yeah, 16 years. I'm really enjoying it. Now, as a child, I'd have loved to have been an actor professionally, but that's, that's not where my life went. But that's not stopping me from doing something that I enjoy. And having something in your life to be enthusiastic about, to take pride in, is great. And that doesn't have to be a career. There was a time I wanted to be um, a radio DJ. Tried to develop a voiceover voice and all that sort of stuff. And I thought that was where my life was going to go. The same for acting. And I'm not particularly good at either of those things. Not really. I kind of play myself in everything. And that's not acting as such. There's little chance that I was destined to be Benedict Cumberbatch. Martin Freeman, maybe. He kind of plays himself in everything. But not being a professional hasn't stopped me from enjoying acting in in, in theatre. I'm in a comedy at the end of the month. Inspector Drake and the Black Widow. Tickets still available, folks. And I'm looking forward to it. And I meet so many people when they first join our little Amdram group who say things like, I've always wanted to do this, but I've just never got round to it. So they've always known that they'd like it. They just never followed it up until they were 50 for some reason. And the same goes for anything. Someone said to me once that their ideal career that pushed all the buttons that makes them feel satisfied would be teaching. They they would have loved to have been a teacher. They did their work experience when they were 15 at their previous primary school. That's a bit of a cop-out. But if you needed to find somewhere to do your work experience and nowhere jumps out at you, people just used to go back to their old school. They'll be very happy to have an extra pair of hands in the room for a week. And they said that doing that was the best week of their lives. They really enjoyed it. But life took them somewhere else. They didn't go to uni. They didn't get a degree. And being realistic, we're probably never going to be able to get one now without resenting it massively. And if we're honest, despite wanting to teach, um, the politics and the lifestyle changes that becoming a teacher would create could probably have done them more harm than good. But once they remembered that their passion was in teaching, that it was in the idea that they could help or inspire, then they were able to play around with where else? They could get those happy buttons pushed. And so they started volunteering at the local library, helping set up some events and teaching um, the OAPs how to use Facebook and stuff. And they started up a Lego club for the local kids that a lot of libraries do. And they didn't need a degree to do that. And they didn't need a new career to find some enthusiasm in their life. They just needed something new adding into their existing life. They didn't need a whole new one. Now, it may be that those things are already in your life. Which brings me on to number two of my five things. To look for the reasons to be enthusiastic, the reasons to be happy. It was Albert Einstein who once famously said, He who can no longer pause to wonder and stand wrapped in awe is as good as dead, his eyes are closed. And I thought, wow, I love that quote. So open your eyes. Be alive, pay attention to the world and look for the things that you'd normally take for granted. Those things that can actually make you smile, if you let it. And appreciate the simple things in nature. The sun going down, a squirrel running up a tree, you know, the sort of fairly 
ordinary boring things that we take for granted so that we can learn to be fully present in the moment and be inspired by life. It takes a bit of practice for it to become second nature, but if you just slow down a little, give yourself a few extra seconds more for the things that are there that can be experienced, to experience them a little bit deeper, you can find that everything feels that little bit more vivid. That clothes can feel warmer, friends can feel friendlier, food can taste better. All the things that, if you were to go to bed and think about, you know, the three things to mull over before you fall asleep, three positive things that we often talk about, those pleasant experiences from the day, you'll be able to remember them easier because you've filtered your life for them. And it'll feel as if life isn't quite so repetitive and unfulfilling after all. Number three is to challenge yourself. Just because you might be good at something doesn't mean you've got to keep on doing it in exactly the same way. Live at the cusp of your comfort zone. Obviously, the more often you make spaghetti bolognese, the easier it's going to be, and maybe even the better it's going to taste as you mess around with different herbs and spices and so on. But if you only ever cook the same meal, you're not going to be proud for very long. Learn something new. Whether that is through cooking or learning to play a musical instrument or whatever, getting new skills wakes up the brain. And knowing that each and every day you're becoming a slightly improved version of yourself is a great way to create that enthusiasm. There's an old phrase, isn't there? If it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. And stretching your comfort zone isn't just a cliche, even if it is a bit overused. It's true. We do have this comfort zone that prevents anxiety and to step outside of it, it makes us anxious and we need to be okay with feeling that way. Feeling anxious is quite normal, but it becomes disorderly when on um, on a scale of one to ten, with one being you know just how people feel leaving their house and ten being how you'd feel if somebody with a chainsaw was running after you. If you jump all the way up to seven, just leaving your house, then that's your challenge. That's how you stretch your comfort zone. You leave the house. And with some deep breathing exercises and maybe some one-to-one therapy, you'll be able to bring that down to three or four. And to get back all the way up to an anxiety level of seven, you've got to go all the way down to the local shops instead. That's one person's challenge. Yours might be the clarinet or learning Spanish or learning to cook or reading more. Sometimes these simple little positive changes can create a huge amount of enthusiasm. And this might cross over a little bit with number four, which is to keep moving. There's a time and a place for relaxation, but don't do it too much. You have more control over your energy levels than you probably think. And anybody who um, has had children will probably probably remember this themselves. I remember when my son was quite little, he's 15 now, but when he was, I don't know, let's say three He would easily get tired, as three-year-olds do, especially if we dragged him around the shops, walking through town, that sort of thing. We'd be walking around and he'd get slower and slower and, and he'd want to get into his buggy and be pushed about. And I'm very sure that he felt as if he had absolutely no strength in his legs. He felt like he had no energy at all. But if I said something like, Hey, Billy, shall I have a race? Or shall we go to the playground after this? He's up. He's awake, he's alert, he's alive, he's full of energy. That's the power of the mind, even as an adult. If you tell yourself that you've got nothing to do, 
it'll tell you that you're sleepy. Give it a task and it'll propel you forward with more energy, more enthusiasm that you didn't realise that you had. And that task could actually be quite simple, really. I once asked somebody who came to me looking for some help with motivation if there was someone in their life that they admired who had the personality traits that they wanted. Someone who was a doer. And they talked about their father-in-law. That he was the type of guy who uh, could be sitting down with you having a chat and noticed that a plug socket plate on the wall was a little bit loose. And he'd just stop, stop the conversation for a moment and say, oh, just notice something, bear with me. And he'd wander off to another room and come back in with a screwdriver. And then he'd carry on with the conversation whilst he tightened up the screw. It wasn't in his nature to put it off for another day. He'd see that something needed doing and wouldn't see any obstacles in the way. And I thought to myself, crikey, I could do with a little bit more of that. And that's why that story stuck in my head. And it helped me a bit as much as it did my client. So if something only takes a couple of minutes to do, why not just do it now? Just get it done. It's probably a, a, a poxy task that you've been putting off. But if you remember that it, needs, that it needs doing or notice a job that only takes five minutes, don't wait. Just do it then. Number five. Positivity. Optimism. Be positive. Like the guy with the loose wall plate, he wasn't looking for reasons why he couldn't do something. It was default to look for the reasons why he could. And positivity helps in so many situations. It's going to help you to feel okay about being stuck in traffic. I know that sounds like something small and simple in the grand scheme of things, but that might be something that happens regularly to you. And it would be really easy to get wrapped up in this fear of judgment for being late for an appointment. But it's not that big a deal, is it, really? Worst case scenario is you're late for an appointment and you have to say thanks for your patience to somebody. The brain likes to latch on to emotions. It's how we encode our memories. If there's no emotion attached to something, the brain doesn't stick it together quite so well. That's why enjoying learning a musical instrument has a significant influence on our abilities compared to just practising and going through the motions. If all you do is just practise, but you don't really care whether you improve or not, guess what? Your playing's not going to improve very much, if at all. But someone with enthusiasm for playing could do exactly the same amount of rehearsal, but they improve dramatically. It's just how the brain works. So if we can take the negative emotions out of the stuff that goes wrong in our day, our brain is going to find it harder to remember the negative experiences. And we want the opposite to happen. We want our brain to find it easier to recall the positive stuff. But it might mean taking small steps. Myself and many others often talk about the importance of taking some time in your day to think about some positive things. Like I said earlier, it's cheesy, I know, and maybe overused, but it really can train the brain how to filter your life for the good stuff. Barbara Fredrickson is a psychologist who coined the term the broaden and build theory to explain all of this. And she did quite a few experiments that showed the value in deliberately practising positivity and the effects that it has on us even months after the experiment had finished. All because, for just three consecutive days, she had participants write about some positive experiences for just three days. And three months later, 
when you compare those participants with those that did some different exercises, those that had written about the positive stuff once a day for three days, three months ago, had fewer illnesses and reported greater levels of happiness and well-being three months later. The effects of deliberately writing about positive experiences for three days started the ball rolling so that it could become part of their personality. They carried it over into the fourth day. Maybe they weren't writing anything down, but their brain had got used to the idea that they look for the positive stuff in their day. And they did the same on day five without realising it, and six, and seven, etc., etc. And it's really handy to filter your world for the good stuff. It's a great buffer for when things do go wrong. Because things aren't always going to go according to plan. There are far too many outside influences And we need to be okay with that, whether that is heavy traffic or Brexit or losing your job. If you can trust yourself that even if things don't go the way that you wanted them to go, that you have the inner resources to deal with it if something bad happens, then it gives you permission to not think about it. I say this a lot and I'm never going to stop reminding everybody that the brain can't separate fact from fiction. It doesn't know the difference between reality and imagination. Thinking about everything going wrong will train your brain to look for problems. It'll train the limbic system of the brain to produce the chemicals that prevent pleasure and boost fear. So have an awareness that things can go wrong, sure. But trust yourself that you can deal with it then. That you don't need to plan for the worst case scenario in advance, just in case. Have an awareness of the worst case scenario. But don't make that the focus. Now, before I go, I want to say a very big thank you to all my supporters on Patreon. It's been an amazing year and I do think, looking at it all, it's only going to get better. I can see it and I can feel it. If you're not already aware, as well as these monthly episodes, I also make some weekly ones that come out on a Monday morning, which is being run through the membership organisation Patreon. And for about six quid each month, you get loads of extra content, which I'm using to help fund counselling and psychotherapy for those that are in financial difficulty. And I've been on my high horse a bit lately about mental health services and apologies, but I'm going to have a little rant. Now, I'm not going to belittle the coronavirus. It's grim. It's grim that in the last month, over 200 people have died because of it. And the more awareness of it, the better protected we are. So it's no surprise that the news is full of it. It's full of everybody talking about the dangers of the coronavirus. And something that is talked about is better understood. So, yeah, go government. Throw some money at preventing the coronavirus. And they are. Governments all around the world are actively doing something to prevent it. After all, over 200 people died last month because of it. But do you know how many people died by suicide because of their mental health problems last month? 65,000. Now, I'm pretty sure that if the coronavirus was so deadly that it was killing 65,000 people every month, the government would be doing a lot more about it than they do for mental health services. And I'm not being cynical. Um, We obviously do need to do something ourselves, don't we? But because the message that's being conveyed by government policy when they spend more on physical health than mental health, is you brought it on yourself. If you kill yourself, then that's your fault. 
Now, I'm not in charge of where the government's money gets spent. I'm not envious of anyone who's going to make those sorts of decisions at all. Especially when worldwide, 100,000 people aged under 50 die because of cancer every month, which is twice as many as suicide, then I can understand why physical health is prioritised. But we do talk about cancer prevention a hell of a lot more than we do suicide prevention. Because physical health problems seem to be considered outside of our control. As if, well, cancer doesn't discriminate. It could be anyone. It could be you. Well, actually, the same goes for mental health problems. The same goes for depression. If you have a brain, then you are vulnerable to mental health problems. Even suicidal ideation. But it's preventable. The statistics across the board show it. That someone's suicidal intention is way, way, way more likely to reduce when they see a mental health professional and they get proper support. So I want to thank my patrons publicly for helping support me through all this. And I hope you're all enjoying my Monday episodes. So shout out then to all my new patrons this month as I've had a a New Year influx. You see, I've had loads of people come on board for January. So thank you to Mark, Tara, Carl, Trish, Shyamika, Lee, Stephanie, Lisa, Jack, Kanyarat, Paul, Heather, Chris. I bloody love you. I love you all. And I'll talk to you on Monday um, about an episode supporting people through grief and bereavement. And to the rest of you, I'll get off my high horse now because it's over 21 minutes and I'll be back next month. And remember, if you do want more, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash Richard Nichols. Have a great February and one way or another, I will speak to you all again very, very soon. Take care, folks. Bye.